We're going to be back in Revelation again, obviously. We're going to talk about the church of Pergamum. Or in some other translations, it's Pergamus. Which, I guess it really doesn't matter which way you pronounce it. But let's go ahead and pray first, and then we'll get going. Uh, Dear Lord, we thank you that we can come together, Lord, and uh, go through your word and hear what you have to say that we can learn from you, that we can uh, use this time to glorify you, that we can grow in you in this moment. Lord, uh, we give you just this time in ourselves for you to do your work, Lord, so that we may honor and glorify you in it. And Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus and the sacrifice that he was willing to pay for us so that we can have victory over sin and death, Lord. Now, Lord, we praise you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so um, let me just give a little bit of background. I did a little bit more uh, digging this time into some of the stuff that we're going to talk about. Um, give you some background on Pergamum or Pergamos, whichever way you want to pronounce it, go for it. It was actually like the central hub of pagan worship. And they were also the capital of imperial worship, which was the worship of Caesar's. So, they were like the hotbed of, let's just say, demonic activity. And you'll see where that comes into play as Jesus is speaking here. But the gods that were primarily worshipped and had a temple in that area were Athena, Asclopius, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Dionysus, who is actually the god of drunkenness, and Zeus, who we know to be the chief God of the Greek mythology. Um, So, this area is just inundated with pagan false worship and false doctrine. So, this is what this church is facing. And it's like, man, having a church in an area where all this false worship, you got guts. You know, and you're going to have to stand firm in what you believe. So, and, uh, you know, they're going to be commended for standing strong in some areas, but in some other area, they're not going to be. They're going to be told that, hey, you need to figure this out and get right. So, let me go ahead and read this now that we have a slight bit of background, um, and then we'll go a little bit more into some of this stuff. <clears throat> so, this is Revelation 2. Chapter chapter 2, verse 12 through 17. Write to the angel of the church of Pergamum. Thus says the one who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan, Satan's throne is. Yet you are holding to my name and did not deny your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death among you, where Satan lives. But I have few things against you, You have some there who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to place a stumbling block in front of the Israelites, to eat meat sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. In the same way, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. So repent, otherwise I will come to you quickly and fight against you with the sword of my mouth. Let anyone who has ears hear to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give 
him a white stone, and on the stone a new name is inscribed that no one knows except the one who receives it. So again, here Jesus qualifies himself. You know, the double-edged sword is always signifying of being something that's just incredibly sharp. And elsewhere we see that the this sword can separate from bone from marrow. That that it is like this. This is the word of God. And so the sword of his mouth is not only his word, but I, I do tend to believe that there is an actual sword that Jesus will wield. You know, whether it comes out of his mouth... I mean, come on, how trippy would that be? Jesus pulls this gigantic sharp sword out of his mouth, you know. But it symbolizes him being able to, to discern and judge and having ultimate authority over that. So that's what this sword is. And so he's saying, hey, I'm the guy who can discern and judge you. You know, a lot of people think that you can't judge. Well, Jesus can judge. And he even tells us that we can judge elsewhere in the Bible as long as we're not judging something that we're currently in. Um, that's a different message for another time. And I think some people would probably like to hear that. Um, but he's basically also qualifying his being able to say what he's going to say to this church. So, and that's what he's done so far to each church, and he's going to do it through the rest of them as well. Um, and so, now, again, he says, I know where you live, where Satan's throne is. Now, the reason he says Satan's throne is because there's this gigantic stone throne that is a temple or altar to Zeus. You know, and Zeus being like that head Greek god, that head god, you know, it's actually a picture of Satan because Satan wanted to be above God. So he wanted to become God and be above God. Well, well, that's the same thing with Zeus. He fought to become the king of the gods, basically, like in Greek mythologies. You know, if you remember any of that stuff from back when you were in school. I barely remembered it because I didn't care. I was like, this is all stupid and false. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and the other reason that they they kinda they say that Jesus says that this is where Satan's throne is because the god uh, Asclepius is the serpent god. That's the form that they kind of used for this this God. And, well, this God was the healing God. So, have you guys ever seen the symbol that we use for our medical field today? You know, you see, like, paramedics, they have this patch. It has, like, a snake on it that wraps around this this pole. Well, that is Asclepius. So, we actually have a pagan symbol on our medical stuff. Because they believed that this was the god or goddess, I think it's goddess, of healing. And that in that temple, you would lay down on the floor and you would let these snakes crawl over you. And by allowing these snakes to crawl over you, you would somehow, by osmosis or whatever, gain some of their healing that they brought on. Which obviously is not true. It's not. That doesn't happen. 
You can't be like laying on the floor and let all these snakes roll over you and be like, oh, I feel so good. No. Uh-uh. No, thank you. I don't need snakes rolling all over me. Um, so, so we see that that's, that's the reason he says this is where Satan's throne is. Because it's such a hotbed of, of false worship to false gods or demon gods, which is what they really are. You know, it says Satan prowls around like a lion and he shows himself as an angel of light. You know, showing himself to be something that he's actually not. He's not good. You know, he is the embodiment, the full purity of evil. And there is no one more evil than Satan. And so, so when Jesus is saying, hey, this is where Satan's throne is. And you have stood for my name in the days that Antipas was put to death. There's not a whole lot known about Antipas. Other than he may have been a pastor in the church of Pergamum. But we do have a little bit more knowledge of his, his martyr. So how he was put to death. Well, they put him inside a... Uh, what is it, like a brass bowl, and they burned him alive. Like, but the reason he is put to death, Jesus says, is because he was a faithful witness. A faithful witness of what? Well, Jesus, right? Right? And this is something that, that we've talked about before, that, you know, being willing to go to even death for the gospel of Christ like, that is an honor for us as believers. It's an honor for us to be put to death on Jesus' behalf. Like, again, we know that that's counterintuitive because our, our first thought is self-preservation. We want to preserve ourselves. So, you know, like you had brought up, you know, what if you were to, what if you were to lie? Well, I think any denying of Jesus is literally denying of Jesus. There is no lying. Yeah, but he didn't lie. He straight up denied him. He, he literally is like denying him to save himself. It wasn't until later that Jesus restored him. You know? Like... like the restorative work of Jesus is something that, that we need to actually hold on to because we get restored every day, right? Scripture says, every day is a new day. New mercies are available to us from God. And, it's, and so when Jesus restores him, he literally asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? Three times. And Peter got upset on the third one. You know, but that's what it took because he denied Jesus three times. Jesus asked him three times. Like, do you really love me? And he used different verbs for the word love when he asked him. Because there was like that brotherly love. Then there was that like familial love. Like that like super deep intimate love that you have between you and your family. You know, he said that, look, do you love me? If so, feed my sheep. Not only was he restoring him back 
to faith, but he was restoring him as the head of what was going to be formed as the church. Like, Peter is widely remembered as being the head of the church. Now, I'm not saying, like, the Catholic Church. He wasn't, like, the first pope or anything. You know, the office of pope shouldn't even exist. You know, but, again, different sermon. You know, but Jesus, throughout Scripture, does say that, yes, we have different shepherds. Like, pastors are considered shepherds over a flock of people who are following Christ, and we're supposed to help lead them as we are led by Christ. You know, and that's kind of what the Pope was supposed to do, but what do people kind of do with the Pope? They kind of worship the Pope, and that's just not good. You know, and they say that he is the the vicar of Christ. It's almost like saying that he speaks on Christ's behalf. And honestly, I I don't see how that's good, especially some of the stuff this Pope has said. Um, you know, like saying all religions lead to heaven, and it's not true. We've had we have that said throughout Scripture that there is only one way, one way, and that's Jesus. There is no other way but Jesus and Jesus alone, who faith in Him. So when He's commending them, He says, "Hey, in that time where you were facing persecution." You stood for my name. You stood in my in faith in me. And you you saw that even somebody you were looking up to, somebody who was a part of your family was put to death and you continued in faith. You know, but then then something down the line happens. Right? As we read says that I have this against you. You hold to the teachings of Balaam. So now, the teaching of Balaam, what he did, because Balaam's from back in the Old Testament time, what he did was taught Balak, who was the king of Moab, to put, to, to convince the Israelites to marry outside of Israel. That's what he was doing. That's what Balaam taught him to do. Because Balaam was forbidden by God to prophesy against Israel and curse them. He made it impossible for him to do that. So he taught somebody else how to place a stumbling block. And it was through sexual immorality and idolatry. And eating, eating the food that is sacrificed to idols. Because usually, if you offer something to an idol... God says, uh-uh, you can't have that. That's been offered to an idol. If it was offered to me, it would be a different story. Because I am the one true God. So that's what, that's what that teaching is. And it falls in line with that teaching of the Nicolaitans that we talked about a couple days ago or last week, whichever day it was. I can't remember anymore. I have a lot going through my head. You know, but the teaching of the Nicolaitans was that, hey, because you're under grace, you can go and live this licentious life. Licentious is a big word for sinful. You know, you can go live for your flesh, and because you've been given grace in Christ, you are still going to be forgiven and saved. You can do whatever you want. Which is the teaching that we widely see within America now. Go do what you want because you're under grace. 
and it's a false teaching, it's a false belief, and it's just dragging people who think they're following Jesus to hell. And it's sad that so many people believe this lie. You know, and that's where true followers of Christ need to step up and show them the truth. And go, look, you're following this teaching. And as much as I know some people might hate this, not in this room, but people who might hear this later, like what Joel Osteen teaches. You guys know who Joel Osteen is, right? Okay. Okay. Joel Osteen teaches teaches the prosperity gospel. He is a word of faith leader. It is... I speak it in faith and God will do it. If I believe God's going to give it to me, it will happen. My best life is here and now. Well, your best life is not here and now. It's in Jesus after the here and now. Your best life doesn't happen here. Yeah, we can start moving into it because of Jesus. But I'm sorry, when a pastor... Pastor steps up on stage and never, ever, 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 ever talks about repentance until Kanye West steps on his stage. There's something wrong there. And when you need a private jet, that doesn't make sense. Like, what pastor needs a private jet? Like, I don't get it. Because there's several other pastors, pastors, do the same thing. Kenneth Copeland, Joyce Myers. Yeah, well, who do you think Joel Osteen follows? Yeah, him. Yeah, they're in the same line of teaching. They are. Do the research. I'm telling you. Okay? Joel Osteen teaches this word of faith movement. That if you say it and speak it in faith, it will be done. If you give, you will get good things. He teaches that very much. And how often have you ever heard him talk about repentance in its truest form? That doesn't mean anything. Having an altar call doesn't necessarily mean anything. If there's no repentance when you're coming to Jesus, you're just coming to Him. You're not actually repenting. If you don't repent of sin, how can you say you follow Jesus? If you turn from if you're not turning from sin, then you're still living for the flesh and you're still living for the world instead of living for Jesus who calls you to turn from the flesh, which is what he's doing here. That's why he says, repent of this idolatry, repent of this sexual immorality, and repent and turn back to me. Just like he did to the church of Ephesus. Return to your first love who was Jesus. They began to fall away. Because of this teaching, because they were allowing, that's what the church of Pergamum is doing. They are allowing this teaching to come in instead of combating against it. A lot of the epistles are speaking against that type of teaching. Saying that when you come to God, He's going to give you and give you and give you and give you and give you. When Jesus says, if you follow me, you're going to have a really hard time. If you follow me, you're going to have tribulation. If you're following me, it's going to be through suffering. Jesus never promises you will be wealthy in the world if you follow Him. 
right? If I were to go off of what these Word of Faith teachers teach, then I would be standing here telling you, hey, give me $100 and you'll be blessed. And then you won't be here in a week. You'll be moving out. You'll be going into your own house. So that's what they teach. They teach this false doctrine that faith is going to get you the thing you want in this life. And it's a false lie. Because if it was true, why was Jesus homeless? Explain that one to me. If this word of faith thing is real, why was Jesus homeless? He was homeless. He did not have a home. He did not have a home. He stayed with other people. For that three years of his ministry, he stayed with other people. He said, the Son of Man does not have a place to lay his head. Foxes have holes, birds blah, blah, blah. He says, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head when somebody is asking about following him. And he said, if you're not willing to let go of the things of this world, you cannot be my disciple. If we want to continue to follow the world, we cannot follow Jesus. You cannot serve two masters. That's why I know, without a shadow of a doubt, that this word of faith, prosperity gospel teaching, is false and is leading many people astray. Sure, it sounds good, it tickles the ears, makes us feel great. Are you talking prosperity as a man? Any type of prosperity. Like, there's nothing wrong with having prosperity, but when you're teaching a doctrine that says you're going to get prosperity if you follow Jesus and you do these things and you give to this ministry. It doesn't work. You're serving two masters. And the fact that they never call people to repentance. They never tell people to endure in their faith. People are getting deceived left and right because of that teaching. Thinking that they are following Jesus because, oh man, I must be following Jesus really well because I'm getting all these amazing things. When in reality, you're just getting these things and Satan is like, yeah, hook, line, and sinker, you're mine. Because you're following after the world. You want what the world has. You want the stuff. You want the things. And we all actually can very easily fall into that. Very easily, right? We want stuff. We want stuff. We like stuff. It makes us feel important that we have stuff. You know, that's why people want the expensive car. That's why people want the big house. Because they want people to go, ooh, they're doing great in life. And that's the type of teachings that were coming into this church, and they were just allowing it. Instead of doing what Ephesians 5.11 says, and that is shining the light on the darkness. So that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to shine a light into the darkness of a false teaching. I mean, it's been around for a long time. It's nothing new. 
This teaching has been since the time of Jesus' ascension. Right? Actually, it's probably even before that because these Greek myth- mythological gods, it was serve them so you could get blessed. This teaching is nothing new. It goes all the way back to the garden. Eat this apple and you'll become knowledgeable in all things. Eat this apple and you will be like God. Am I saying Joel Osteen doesn't believe Jesus? No. I don't know. But if I were to go off of just what he teaches, I would be very skeptical. And I would do your research. Don't just take what I'm saying. Do some research into it. Okay? Like anyone. Oh, well, of course. Makes you feel good, right? Yeah, but it's not always about being encouraging. But that's what people like about Joel Osteen. That million dollar smile. Oh, no, 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 no. He doesn't live like that all the time. Guaranteed. He does that because it gets him what he wants. It gets him thousands upon thousands of people in his church. It gets him millions of dollars coming in to a 501c3. Gets him book deal. That doesn't necessarily mean anything. Still, I didn't say anything about that. I'm just saying the millions of dollars are coming into his church. Well, yeah, but because people think they're going to get blessed by giving. Yes, God says give and you'll be blessed, but it doesn't say that it's going to be blessing in monetary gain. It's not going to be blessing in physical gain. It's not going to be blessing in that. It's going to be spiritual blessing. You're going to receive spiritual blessings. Yes, God can take care of us monetarily. God can take care of us in physical needs. Absolutely. But we do not serve Him to get stuff from Him. Because we've already been given the most amazing gift that we could ever get from Him. And we will never be able to repay Him. And that is freedom from sin through faith in Him. And so Jesus is calling them to repent or He is going to come and war against them Himself. You're not going to be able to stand against Jesus coming against you. You know, so then, you know, we'll just start to finish up. <laughs> so after he says, repent, and he says, yeah, I'll come and fight, I'll come and war against you if you, if you don't. And I would not want Jesus to be the one walking into my church going, <laughs> you didn't repent. Let's go. And so he says, if you've got ears to hear, listen to what I'm saying. Listen to what I'm saying. Conquer over this sin. Conquer over the flesh. Conquer over the world. 
Live for me, and I will give you this. And the hidden manna, so you guys know what manna is, right? Manna is like that wafer stuff that the Israelites got fed from the sky by God every day, except for Sabbath day. Okay, Jesus is saying that, hey, there's still some of that waiting. Still some of that in heaven waiting for you. If you will but conquer. And the word conquer here actually points to the word Christian or faithful one. That's us. It says we're supposed to conquer over these things. Conquer over sin. Conquer over false doctrine. And that's why I will fervently stand up here and tell you if it's false. But then I want you to do the research yourself also. Because if you find something that maybe I don't see, you can tell me. You know, we can look good in front of people. It doesn't mean we're saved. And again, I don't know Mr. Osteen's heart, so I can't say that. I am not God, so I do not know his heart. But regardless, outside of that, those teachings have gone into the church and we're supposed to defeat them with the word of God. Supposed to see what true doctrine is and how to stand against false doctrine. Because it gives us the words and that's how we conquer. We conquer with the word of God. And if we conquer and we get to enter into the kingdom of heaven, eternity with God, which is what this white stone is, it's a ticket. Back in the old days, back in the Bible days, a white stone was given to the winner of a game and would have a name on it. And it was their name and it was their ticket into the after party. Well, the wedding supper of the Lamb. We want to be there, right? We want to be there. We want to be there at that banquet. Well, that's how we get there. A stone that is white and has a new name so that we can walk in to the banquet of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And only those who conquer, who are faithful to Jesus, receive it. I don't know about you guys but do you want to stand for Jesus and receive a ticket to his banquet do you want that or do you want to shrink back and let sin and the world and the flesh steamroll you Only you can make that decision. Only you can decide if you're going to follow Jesus or if you're going to follow the world and give your life over to sin. Say, I know better. So I'm going to live for myself. I know from personal experience, it doesn't work. I think most of us kind of know that. We know that living for ourselves doesn't work. Sometimes it ends up here. Sometimes it might end up we made millions of dollars, but we're going to be 
freaking sad and never fulfilled. I'd rather be fulfilled and receive from Jesus a gift that gives us entrance into His kingdom. I, for one, can't wait to see what my new name is going to be. I think it's going to be really awesome. And I hope to see all of you guys there. Let's pray. Dear Lord, just as I said, Lord, this is, this is about you and your glory. Lord, and I'm grateful that you choose to use mortal men, Lord. Men who are still screwed up. But Lord, men who are willing to live their life for you. Lord, that could be any one of us in this room. You have a message for each of us. You have a message to use through each of us. So Lord, would you begin to do that? Or would you continue to strengthen, guide, and provide wisdom to each and every one of us so that we can boldly stand in faith, no matter the circumstances, no matter what might happen to us? And Lord, would you open our minds to understand what true and faithful doctrine, theology, and your word says. Lord, we're grateful that you have pinned down through, through men by the power of the Spirit words for us that we can learn, that we can uh, have wisdom, that we can grow. Lord, we're grateful that you were willing to die and live and raise for us, Lord, so that we could be saved and have victory over sin and live as conquerors. Lord, help us to live every day as conquerors. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen.